Today we're looking at Exodus chapter 3. Normally when, when we get things to preach on, it's 5 to 10 verses. This is 22 verses. Uh, I actually got two and a half to three sermons to preach today out of this. So um, they're, they're sort of related, but they could be separate. They could have all been 40 minutes long each, but they're not. Um, so before we start, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, let these words be yours. Uh, touch our hearts in a, in a way that the Spirit wants us to grow. We ask this in your name. Amen. Many of you have, have heard the, the story that in this block of wood there may be an elephant. And do you know how you carve an elephant from a block of wood? Just cut away everything that's not an elephant. Whatever's left is an elephant. Um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about the character of Moses. And God's kind of cutting away at him until he exposes the character that he wants Moses to be. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Do we have that online? I guess not. Okay, so you have to use your Bible or your iPhone. You won't be able to read it on the screen. Or maybe you will. I don't know. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. 
This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Oops, sorry. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel should go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that, that uh, the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. And we'll look very briefly at the character of Moses. Chris has spoken about Moses the past several weeks. Um, a man who was raised royalty, but also as a Hebrew, he was raised basically by his mom through a miracle of Jesus, of, yeah, of God. Um, he encountered a situation he disapproved of, the beating of one of his people, and reacted maybe out of anger and killed the taskmaster. When he was discovered, what did he do? He ran. Um, Rather than trying to fix the system from the inside, because he had Pharaoh's ear, he ran. Um, he had his shot. He ran into the wilderness. He became a shepherd. And he pretty, pretty much figured that he'd had his shot and given up. That pretty much brings us up to date as Exodus 3. When we look at Moses' character... As I was preparing for this, my wife said something that I had not heard before. She basically said Moses was the most humble man in the Bible. And I had to think about why that was. Well, let's look at Moses um, and his character. What was he doing at the time of the burning bush? Uh, it says, Moses was keeping the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro. He was a shepherd. Let's look at the history of shepherding. Remember, Moses was brought up in the court of Pharaoh. He was as high a royalty as you can get. He runs away and he becomes a shepherd. One of the reasons a lot of the commentaries mentioned that, that Pharaoh welcomed uh, Jacob and all of his sons and his people was because they came to the country as shepherds. And shepherds were the lowest of the low. If Mike Rowe was doing dirty jobs in those days, he would have done the shepherds because nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Did that change over time? Well, remember when the angels came at the birth of Christ, who did they come to? They came to the shepherds. And that was shocking because the Jews expected Christ to be born as royalty, someone who would overthrow the Romans. And instead of announcing Christ's birth to the, to the king and to the priests and to the highborn of the Jews, they went to the shepherds, the lowest of the low. Shepherds had really stinky jobs. So Moses had gone from royalty to the lowest of the low. 
you know, we see a little bit of this uh, in verse 11 uh, that he doesn't have a whole lot of confidence when he says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? All in all, um, he's done. He doesn't really want to go back into the fray. He's perfectly happy being a shepherd. Um, last week, the Patriots pulled a stunning victory off of the Super Bowl. And of course, I turned it off at halftime because I knew there was no way they were going to come back. Um, they've been invited to the White House. And at some point, many of them will write their memoirs. What will they say in their memoirs? Uh, they will say um, how they were the key to bringing their team to the Super Bowl. How they performed at the peak of their ability. And how they were wonderful people. Some of them may give credit to their teammates, but it really, they'll be the key to the victory in their memoirs. Let's look at Moses for a minute and see whether he takes that same approach. Let's realize he is going to meet God. He sees a burning bush, doesn't know what it is yet. But Moses wrote Exodus. So he's looking back on his life. And he's looking back on his life to the first time that he actually met God. What does he have to say about that? He says, uh, verse 2 and 3, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, Oh, awesome, I met God here. No, he says, Gee, I wonder what's going on with this burning bush. If you had had a voice-to-voice -voice meeting with God, would you look back on it and go, Hey, wonder what's going on. Or would you brag about the fact that God picked you? This is an awesome moment for Moses. God picks him of all the people in the world to lead his children out of Egypt. Um, is this something that, that, uh, that he should be proud of? I don't know. Would you be proud if you had actually met God? Moses was not. Further proof of that. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. So why did God choose Moses of all people? Well, there are a couple of things to look at. Um, Moses, in a way, had been prepared for this mission. Where was he brought up as a child? He was brought up in the court of Pharaoh. He knew the protocol. He knew the language. He probably knew some of the important people. He may have had access to the point where he could rely on his, uh, his, his uh, adopted parents to go and, and uh, allow him to get access. If God had chosen a field worker, how would he have gotten in to see Pharaoh? So Moses had some preparation. Now, was he totally prepared? Well, personality-wise, it sure doesn't seem that way. Here's a guy who gave up, had anger issues, said, uh, God, who am I that I should go and, and free your people? I saw a meme out on Facebook and it said something like, uh, God works with imperfect people because it's the only kind he's got. 
Um, why didn't God prepare a better man than Moses to accomplish his mission? Well, because God works with each one of us where we are. And that's where Moses was at the time. I believe that Moses is a model, not the only model, but a very good model of how God works with us. He prepares us in many ways. Um, I worked with a young lady in a youth group who had been abused as a child. And while that is a tragic thing, her goal in life was to become a counselor and help other young women who had been abused. Was God preparing her for her future? Maybe. I've lost track of her. I don't know if she ever became that counselor. God is preparing you as well, especially the young people in here. What is God doing today to prepare you for his mission? Um, for some of you, you excel at sports or you excel at school. For some of you, you excel at something else. For some of you, he's preparing you by putting you through hard times. One day he will appear to you, probably won't be in a burning bush. He doesn't do that a whole lot. But it may be a call from a friend who sees a need that they think that you're the perfect person to fill that need. Of course, it's always easier to volunteer a friend to fill a need. Uh, it may be your pastor who says, hey, we need somebody to fill in here. I think you'd be a good fit. It may be a vision and a dream. Depends on how God decides to talk to you. When he does, he doesn't want you to be perfect. He just wants you to be willing. Notice two things about Moses. First time he'd ever met God, he knew his place. He was afraid to look at God. He hid his face. And he didn't say, who am I to go? Because he knew he wasn't perfect. And when God calls you, your, your task is not to be perfect. Your task is to say, who am I to go, but I'll go. In short, what has God prepared you for? And what will he call you to do? He called Moses to lead his people, his chosen people, out of Egypt. It's a mighty task for a shepherd, but apparently not too mighty for God to accomplish. That's Sermon 1. Sermon 2 deals with God's identity. What do we find out about God's identity in this? Well, there's two passages that I want to point at for God's identity. One of them I could have picked from any one of three locations. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Why does God identify himself repeatedly with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because these are his chosen people. Moses knows his, his heritage. He knows that his people are chosen of God. And he knows of the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He also said, I am who I am. We've heard that mentioned several times. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, one of the things we talk about in seminary, the claim that Jesus never said he was God. Well, he might not have said the word, I am God. But he said, 
dozens of things that all of the people surrounding him knew meant, I am God. And one of them was, uh, I and the Father are one. I am. He used the phrase, I am at least once. This is a, an identity that will be carried from generation to generation. So it turns out that uh, that this is, I guess you could trademark this. This is God's trademark. I am. I am the God of your fathers, the past, and I am the God of the present. So we see a little bit about God's character just here in Exodus 3. But what do we see in particular from the burning bush? First we see that God hears his people. He says, the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and know their sufferings. Then in verse 9 he says, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. It had been about 400 years that the Israelites had been in Egypt. Why had God not heard their call before that? Well, I have a theory. Why did they go to Egypt in the first place? Remember, there was famine in the land. And Joseph, through the interpreting of the, the king's dream, was able to provide food for the Israelites when they came to Egypt and took the job of shepherds. How did Pharaoh feel about Joseph? Well, he just saved his nation from famine. Pretty good. So I'm thinking the first 100 years, 200 years, life was probably pretty good for the Israelites. They didn't think they needed God. They were doing just fine without him. Even if they remembered God, they wouldn't cry out to them because they really weren't suffering. Chris talked about how does Exodus start. There came about a Pharaoh who, who did not remember Joseph. Now all of a sudden, after generations and generations, Pharaoh looks around and he's got a country full of these foreigners. Now, they're doing the nasty jobs, but there's so many of them that they're not just doing the nasty jobs. Maybe they're taking over some of the jobs that he wanted to give to his friends. So he starts making life a little harder for them. Over time, some, many of them are probably still shepherding, but some of them are making bricks. Some of them are working as servants, even slaves, for the Egyptians. And now they're not being treated well. And so after three or 400 years, they're starting to gripe. God, we're your chosen people. What happened to your promises? God, where are you? Does this sound familiar to anybody? When the job's going well, and the family's healthy, and there's food on the table, we don't always cry out to God, because we think we're doing just fine. We need to realize that God wants to hear from us even when we're doing fine. Now, for the Israelites, after they got into enough pain, then they cried out to God, and God heard their call. God is listening for every single one of us to call out to him. Ideally, 
It's before we enter that level of pain that the Israelites read. I had a pastor named Mark Pett who had cancer when I was teenager probably, maybe early adulthood. And he took almost a year off. And then he preached his last sermon. He preached it sitting down because he couldn't, didn't have the strength to stand up. And one of the things he said, and I'll never forget it, is they say that trial and tribulation brings you closer to the Lord. And I am closer to the Lord right now than I have ever been. But I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Because he had suffered so much pain, both himself and, and dealing with his family dealing with it. Go to God before you get to that point. And Mark was a mighty man of God. And I have no doubt that he was close to the Lord before this started. But don't wait to cry out to the Lord until you're in the maximum pain. Call out to him now. Ask him to point you where you need to go. Ask him what you need to be doing this afternoon, tomorrow, or the next day. They cried out, God, what about all those things you promised us? Well, what did God promise them? From the past. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Is that actually Hivites? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, who had he promised this to? This was a promise he made to Abraham back in Genesis 9, 18 to 21. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Is that the same promise? Well, the commentaries say the names change. But the tribes that he speaks of 400 years later cover that same territory. And so although uh, some of the names in the original promise have either been merged with other tribes or defeated already, it's the same land. They're recognizing a promise from God's past to give them a land of milk and honey that's owned by other people. Now, sometimes we have a problem with that. Um, you know, especially in today's culture, the evil white man has taken the land from the Indians who had it first and deserved it. Okay? Um, these tribes are all mentioned in Genesis as enemies of God. When we send somebody to death row, a lot of states have eliminated the death penalty because um, of wrongful convictions. And I can understand that because a majority of 12 human beings, sometimes we get it wrong because we're not perfect. Um, as a very judgmental person myself, I'd probably like to see a lot of them fry. But I will admit, as humans, we can be wrong. God isn't wrong. And when he makes promises, he keeps them. 
the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, all these people had their opportunity to worship the Lord, but they turned their back on him. And the Lord came down in judgment. Judgment is something we have a problem with today. Uh, but God is perfect. He declared that these people were going to be kicked out of their land and the Israelites were going to take it. I will take that as God's word and therefore it's right. What about from the uh, promises of the present? Did God promise Moses or the Israelites anything in the present? When we look at verse 8, he says, uh, which is something we looked at a little bit earlier, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out, up out of that land to good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he promised to do that now. Is he going to keep that promise? Many of you know the story, but I'll let Chris preach on that in the future and see exactly how he keeps that promise. But he does keep that promise. He raises them up out of Egypt. How about a promise to Moses for the future? Look at verse 12. I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The passage says that he went to the mountain of Horeb. The commentaries say that the actual verbiage is he went at, to the mountain that was on the way to Horeb. We know that mountain as Mount Sinai. Anybody remember what Mount Sinai, what happens there? We see the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston goes up <laughs> and, and, and gets the Ten Commandments. Again, a promise for the future. Did he keep that promise? You betcha. I am, so why does he say I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Because he wants to remind his people that he's a promise keeper. He always keeps his promises. Now that's really great. It was Moses' day. God's going to go. He's going to keep his promises to Moses. Who cares? It's an old story. Um, why should we bother to even read it? I think this exposes the character of God, that God is a promise keeper. And so uh, what I want to do is read a few of God's promises that apply to us today. How about a promise from the past? Look at it, John 2.19. And Jesus said, destroy this sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. What was he talking about? He was talking about his earthly body. That he would be crucified, laid in the earth, and raised in three days. Is that a promise that he kept in the past? How about a present promise? John 5.24. And I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Is that a promise for the present? Is it true that anybody who believes on him can have eternal life? 
If that promise is not familiar to you, or you're not sure about it, talk to Chris, talk to me, talk to David, talk to Kevin. Read your Bible. God has made a promise to us in the present that if we believe in his name, we will have eternal life. He will honor that promise. John 14, 6. Another promise for the present. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way to eternal life, to God, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I was going to use John 1.12, for as many as believed him, to them gave he the power to become sons and daughters of God, even to those who believe on his name. But the promises that I've used so far were actually Jesus' words. Whereas John 1.12 is what John wrote about Jesus. So I wanted to make these promises directly from Jesus. How about a promise for the future? John 14.2. In my Father's house are there many dwelling places. This is the Holman Bible, by the way, which is why the words are probably a little different than yours. Uh, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. He's coming back for us. Uh, whether we are still alive and ascend directly to heaven, whether we have fallen asleep or died and go to heaven after our death, I don't know when he's coming back, but he's promised that he will. God kept his promises to Moses and to the people of Israel. Jesus, who is God, made us promises as well, and he will keep those promises because it's part of his character. Let's pray. Father, please show us your character. Show us how much you love us and, and uh, help us to always remember that you will keep your promises, that all we need to do is believe upon your name. Bless us now. Help us to discover what it is, what mission you've prepared us for, and what we need to do to accomplish that mission today and tomorrow, and the day after, Lord. Amen.